Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Well, can I first say um, what a great privilege it was uh, to spend a week with this crowd over here. Um, I I hope and I'm sure you're you're absolutely clear that you're very blessed in this church. You have one of the finest youth groups I've ever come across and I've been around a little bit and seen lots of them. So I I trust you pray for them. I trust you support them. Uh, You have a fantastic group of leaders. I hope you were impressed with my pictures, uh, which I spent hours painting. You can just imagine, you know, that I spent that. No, that's rubbish. Um, My good friend Gareth here put them all together for me. And that's the kind of week it was. It was a teamwork. Uh, and that was fantastic to be part of, and uh, I enjoyed it so much. Um, I shall be glad to get home to my wife tonight. Um, if the A34 is clear, I shall get there. If not, I shall be in a travel lodge somewhere, but there you go. So what we did this week was we looked under that sort of general heading, uh, these books still speak, um, because we thought that rather than sort of ignore these books that come towards the end of the Old Testament, and in those last thousand years, King David was about a thousand years before Jesus, So these minor prophets that come after Solomon um, are very much God's voice to the people of Israel in that period. Uh, The kings, uh, there's a lovely phrase in the book of Chronicles, I'm sure some of you know it. Um, A king comes to the throne and the next line is, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Really encouraging. That's the kind of kings they were. So God, as it were, moved into a, a phase where he used these men, these prophets, to speak the words that he wanted to speak to his people. Uh, And that made it very clear, very sharp. And we've looked at two of them this week. We spent, inevitably tonight, is going to be a sort of quick flip through, Joel. And I haven't got time to develop so many ideas in the book. But we spent three days on Micah. And that super verse was our memory verse. You can see it at the bottom there uh, of the uh, slide that we've got up. What does the Lord require of you? And we spent some time with the young people talking about this. What does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Uh, and that's my prayer for you, crowd. You know that. I said it to you enough times during the week um, that God will do that. I, I always think of that, that verse as what a great epitaph. If someone said that about me, I'd be more than chuffed. To that which I do, I act justly, I love mercy. And I walk humbly with my God. And uh, that's what you should be praying for this wonderful group of people. So talented. um, Such potential. I told them that so many times again. Because these guys have the potential under God and with his strength. uh, To do things which will make a difference in this world in which we live. So please go on praying for them. Don't stop. Just because they're back from house party. And if you have been praying faithfully during the week well thank you for that it's much appreciated now if we if we look at the world in which we live uh, it, it's it doesn't take rocket scientists does it to tell us that it that it's a world in decline it's a world in chaos it's a world which is facing up to issues that it never really thought it was facing maybe a year two three years ago and suddenly we're faced with these things that are happening and i don't know about you uh, they get threatening don't they They get us to a place where we think, what is going on? And sometimes they threaten our faith. And we think, well, if there is a God, why does he allow people to mow down folks on a street in Paris? Why does he allow a guy to run a lorry through the streets of Nice? Why does God allow that stuff? 
And I think we need to see that, that these guys, these prophets, have an answer to that. And before I go any further, I want to pray that God will speak through this short time as a snapshot. That's all, we can, all it can be, as I say, in Joel. Let's just uh, bow our heads and pray. Father, please, speak through your word. Thank you that you've written it for our good. Thank you that by your Holy Spirit, you can speak it into our lives. And I pray that you will do that to young people here tonight, their leaders, and all the members of the Forward family who are here. Speak, Lord, and help us to listen and obey what you have to say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, if we look at this, verse 2, we know where it came from. I hope you enjoyed verse 1. Well read, by the way. It's a great job. Uh, the word of the Lord that came to Joel. We had to put that in so you knew who it was. I did, I'd love the whole book to be read, but we, we don't really have time for that. And when we get to verse 2, what do we say? We see, hear this, you elders. Listen to all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your forefathers? Has anybody ever seen anything like this before? Which is what's being said. Easy to say, as I say, that same question. And the issue here is very clear. It's about God's people whom he has chosen to be the ones that will follow him, for whom he has a purpose, a plan. He is an all-sovereign God, a knowing God who created the universe and everything in it. And he has the right to demand obedience and we talked a lot about that on House Party. And obedience is not a fashionable word, is it? Obedience, it's, it's a kind of word you run away from. But it's very big in the Bible. Very big. What does God require of you? He requires you to be obedient. And if that doesn't happen, and because he loves his chosen people, he wants them to return to his ways. So he warns them of dire consequences that a failure to obey will bring. We kept doing this on House Party. We kept saying, look, here's the track God wants you on. Here's the way he wants you to live, this way. If you go that way, what's God going to do? Is he just going to say, okay, fine, do what you like? Yeah, you feel free. If he loves, then he's going to say, hey, come back this way. This is where I want you to be. I don't want you to be over here or over here. I want you to be here. And because I love you with all the passion that God loves his people, he's going to say what he thinks will restore those people back on the track of obedience and love and service that, that God wants for his people. So when God disciplines and when he chides us and when he tells us what he wants, it's not because he's having fun making us grovel. It is because he wants to restore us. He wants to bring us back. That's why God speaks. That's why he does this. It comes from a heart of love. Let me illustrate it uh, very simply. Most of you, or some of you certainly know that I had um, three boys. Well, I still have, actually. They're still around, so it's okay. Last time I checked. Now, I used to take them out around here sometimes, and uh, when I lived here, and we, we went to, close to a, a pond in a park, and uh, we got close to this pond, and uh, there on the side of the pond uh, was uh, nothing. And there was ice on the pond. Now, as a loving father, what do I do? Do I say to my three gorgeous little boys, why don't you experiment and see how thick that ice is? 
Go on, have a go on it. See, see if it holds you up. As a loving father, I say, don't you dare go on that pond. Because people who do that kind of thing can die. You see, it is because I love. We've got this dichotomy, it's a false one, between love and discipline. If we discipline, we don't love. We just let people do what they want to do. It's nonsense. It's biblical nonsense. Those who you love, you discipline. Hebrews says it. And so when God speaks in these ways, what he's trying to do is to restore his people back on the track that he has for them because they are his people. The most common phrase almost in the Old Testament is, I am your God, you are my people. This is where I want you to be. So what of Joel? Who's he? Well, people argue about his date. Uh, there's, there's really no historic reference point that you can kind of pin him on. When we did Haggai, if you remember, you can pin Haggai exactly to 520 BC. And the first time he speaks is on the 1st of August. Now, you can't do that with Joel. You can't pin him down. But most accept that he was probably not far off Micah that we met earlier in the week. Um, and it's probably sometime in the reign, it must be in the reign of King Uzziah, 792, 740 BC. The kingdom's divided after Solomon. We still have Israel in the north and Judah in the south. Times were good for Israel. The two kingdoms were almost as big as they were in the time of David. Uzziah was strong enough to demand money, taxes. He conquered the coastal area of the Philistines, which had been such a pain in earlier years to Saul and David. He'd improved the fortifications of Jerusalem, and he totally reorganized the army. Great! Society sorted. In such times, God raises this prophetic voice through men such as Joel. He was clearly a man of spiritual maturity. His insights were penetrating, not only about his own land that he clearly knows well. Now, he's probably a southern prophet. He has to be because he talks a lot about Mount Zion in Jerusalem and restoring the fortunes of Jerusalem. But if we go to verse 4, what we find is that a plague of locusts has hit the place. The crops had all been ruined. The economy of the country, a country like Judah, would have seriously suffered because of the lack of crops. And the continuation, if you go on to verse 9, you see that the sacrificial offerings involving grain had had to be abandoned. And in those events, Joel saw the hand of God's judgment. Sure, the people had been blessed in the time of Uzziah. But do you know what they'd done? They'd taken the blessings for granted. You can almost hear them saying, we're God's people. We deserve all this. Come on, we had a bit of a rough time in the desert. Moses led us all around the place. Come on, let's, let's have fun here. You know, we're okay. Don't panic. Worship, we read in 113, had become a formality. It, it was empty. It was heartless. And Joel stood up in a period of material prosperity and told people that the locust plague was just a foretaste of what was to come. If they failed to repent, and if they didn't repent, full fellowship with God could not be restored. And God said that there will be a day of the Lord. It's in 115, 2, 1, 2, 11, and three other places in the whole book. 
And the day of the Lord, as we learned, I hope you guys remember this, we talked a lot about it. it. It's a kind of event, it's a kind of cataclysmic event that happens like a locust plague or a significant battle where God intervenes and makes a statement. And, and basically, to put it absolutely crudely, he says, wakey, wakey. Wakey, wakey. I'm God. And you're mucking about with me. You, you think you can do what you like and have a bit of God on Sunday. Does that ring any bells? We become consumer Christians. Jesus isn't Lord. Jesus is a commodity. And he wants to say to all of us, as I've heard some of, this guy, some of these guys say during the week, that, that we don't want Jesus to be like that. You heard it in one of the testimonies. We don't, we don't want to be people that, that simply turn the Jesus button when we come into church. We want to be people who, for whom Jesus is Lord and Lord of all. And the only specific sin is mentioned in chapter 1 verse 5, it's drunkenness, but the general tone of the first 14 verses uh, very much is, is hear God's voice, listen. Uh, I can quickly flip through it if you can follow with me through the Bible, the first chapter. He, t- he speaks to the elders in verse 2. He says, tell your children in verse 3. Wake up, you drunkards, in verse 5. Despair, you farmers, you vine growers. And in one thirteen, the priests. He's addressing the whole community. And that disobedience to God's law will cause damage right through the whole community. And the reason that is, he he wants obedience is that he is a sovereign God. He is guiding earth's affairs towards a final goal. And 115 says he will bring destruction. 2, 1 to 4 says the day is coming. But Joel also explains why. 2.18, he is jealous for the land. Now that isn't jealous because some of these guys are younger than me and they can run around in ways that I used to be able to run around and I can't anymore. And I'm profoundly jealous of your abilities to play sport that I used to be able to play. It's not that kind of jealous. It's a word that's used about God where he says, I, I, am, I'm, I so want the best for you. I so want it. I so want you to follow me. I so want you to be obedient. I'm jealous for you. I want you to be mine. And God speaks to you tonight, maybe, and you know, your commitment to him is a bit half-hearted and a bit weak, and I'm sorry if I'm getting at you, but I think we need to hear this stuff now and again. And God says, I want you all. I want your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The whole lot. And he promises that he will deliver the, the people in 220 from the northern army, that's the Assyrians, I will repay what the locusts have eaten. I'll bank that up for you again. Verse 28 of chapter 2. And then I will pour out my spirit on all my people. Perhaps the most famous verse, 2.28. And what God is saying is this. When we, my friends, repent, as we listen to God's judgment on our lives, it is not that we return to an absentee landlord. It is to a God who is deeply involved with us in our everyday lives. 
2.12 says, even now return to me with all your heart. I want all your heart. And the simple reason for that is, and I mentioned this verse, didn't I, during the week, we, we looked at that verse in Revelation 3 when, uh, I love the translation, it's not in, actually, well, I think you can get it from the text good enough. Somebody will put me straight afterwards, I'm sure, knowing forward. But if you go to Revelation 3, uh, and the church of Laodicea, uh, when God talks about lukewarmness, I, I think basically its translation is this. Because you are lukewarm, God says, you make me want to throw up. You see, God detests lukewarmness. God detests a, a person that tries to balance all the different parts of their lives. And Jesus is not Lord of their business, of their relationships, of their family. And he quite simply says, I just hate that kind of tepid attitude. And one of the great encouragements for me of working with this crowd for a week has been the passion which with, with which they address their walk with God. Yeah, not all of them. Some of them have struggled with it, I think. We heard that just now. But they're trying. They're, they're really working on it. They want to. And all the encouragement that you can give them will be fabulous so that they can go on working with God and living for God and serving God and making a difference in this world. And some of us think this is so hard, don't we? But why? Is being a Christian today because Jesus has died for us, because he's risen again, because he's promised to live in our hearts by faith, and he's promised to be with you and never forsake you, He's promised to walk with you every day, every minute, every second. You got a better deal than that? Because that's what he's offering. Grace is poured out, we read at the end of Joel, towards the end of Joel, on those undeserving people who in our generation, as it were, come to the foot of the cross and say, this is for me. In Joel's day, it was, it was a return to obedience. In our day, my friends, it's quite simple. It's those who put their faith and trust, as we heard Harriet say earlier, personally in the living Lord Jesus and ask him to guide them throughout the rest of their days. As Joshua said, as for me, I will serve the Lord. And grace is poured out in that way. Because 2.32, another famous verse quoted by Paul in Romans 10, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God wants to hear from repentant sinners. And I cannot emphasize enough to you guys and, and perhaps to the rest of you gathered here tonight that this is why God has put us on the planet. Yes, to honor him. Yes, to serve him. Yes, to worship him. But it is to spread. We learnt in Micah, we have this lovely verse, I love this verse in Micah, where it says, we will go up to the Lord, to the mountain of the Lord, and we will hear his teaching, and then we will walk in his ways. As the word of God spreads out from this community and brings life to all that we'll be rubbing shoulders with in these days. Yes, God wants us to hear from repentant citizens. It was about observance or style, it was about a change of heart. God is concerned 
about the way we worship. We learned that in verse one. But mere external observances of worship are not enough. Change of heart is required. And Joel urges the people to ask God for mercy. Chapter one, verse 13. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I think to understand what God's attitude is to his people, and this is the, perhaps the major theme, and I'm, I'm so aware I'm skipping around here, and I'd love to have a, a sort of six sessions on this to, to pick out all the lovely bits that there are there. But if you, talk, if you look at chapter 1, verse 6, you will see that he talks about my land. A nation has, involved, has invaded my land. This is God speaking through the prophet This is my land, God says, promised to Abraham all those years before. Joel summons in verse 1, chapter 1, verse 13, all who live in the land to the house of the Lord. He is drawing people back to that centrality of God in the community. And he's saying, come, 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 come back, come and listen. Chapter 2, verse 12, God speaks of returning to him. 2.18, we've learned already, God speaks of a jealous God. Chapter 2, verse 23, speaks of a God who waters his land, who sustains it, who helps it to grow and develop. And chapter 3, verse 1 onwards, talks about a God whose desire is to restore the fortunes of his people. And on such people, he will pour out his spirit. My friends, this is is so exciting for me. It's so exciting because what it says is this, that God is not some effigy stuck up somewhere on a statue or on an altar. But God wants to water. That's a physical function. He wants to make things happen and grow within the community that he's created. A God who wants to restore the fortunes of a complacent, apathetic, money-grabbing community that this was, that he was talking to. And on those people who see the, the evil of that kind of way, he says, I will pour out my spirit. You will have God's Holy Spirit living with you, walking with you, day by day, in school, in college, in all the places that you guys hang out in. And you guys, when you get to, to office and work and community, and, and lunch club, if it still goes. I hope it does, whatever it's called these days. You know, wherever you are, God is, God is wanting to pour out his spirit. And of course, being prophecy, this anticipates two things. The exile of Judah. Uh, you saw that the kingdom was split and then the exile comes in, in five, 586 finally. The exile of Judah, some way off. But the point is still made with a double of edge. The restoration of the kingdom of Judah will happen. The people will come back to exile. But when they come back from exile, as we learned this week, Haggai had to shout at people and say, you've all paneled your own houses, but you haven't given attention to the house of God. Now that isn't about wood. That is about your heart. And being in the house of God is less important than paneling your own house. I'll leave that with you to work it out. But I think that says volumes about a consumer society, but we'll leave it at that. God knows the only future for his chosen people is people who are faithful. As a nation, they will come back. 
What God wants here in Forward, as in my church in Winchester, is people who will be faithful to God's word, who will seek to serve God, to reach out into their communities. And that will be a restoration for some people. Praise God. So the prophet is operating at that level. He's operating at the historic level. But my friends, he's operating at another level. He's pointing us to the time when God's kingdom will be only those who are of the kingdom of faith. Did you pick it up in chapter three? God will deal with the nations. Don't we sometimes get to places where we say, oh, if I could get my hands on that lot. What I do to ISIS, if I, I'd give them a piece of my mind. Do you ever get thinking that? Worry not. Every single one of those guys that's committed the atrocities that we don't need to go into the detail of will have to face God. And they will have to give an account of why they did it. I would not like to be in their shoes. But I don't need to. But Joel is pointing us to time when he will pour out his spirit. The nations who've been in the in thorn in the side of Israel, and you've seen it here in a list of people like the Edomites and, and all those kind of people. And in verse 9 of chapter 3, such nations are warned to prepare for a war that they cannot possibly win. But if you look at 3.16, you see that his people will be safe. Now again, this is at two levels. It, It is about the restoration after the exile, but it is also looking forward to the time when God's kingdom will be consummated. And the whole place, verse 3, verse 18, you'll dwell in it in 17, and then it'll drip with goodness, 318. It's beautiful. Egypt like a desolate place. Edom like a desert. God's enemies will be sorted. And Judah, God's people, will live forever. Because the Lord dwells there. Are you looking forward to that? I am. I think it's about getting old, maybe. But I hope some of you who are slightly younger than me are still, as I heard on House Party, and I can't see the person who said it to me. There she is, I've got her. Uh, who said how excited she was about going to heaven. Now, at her age, that's brilliant, isn't it? It's great. Because she can see a dimension that's, that's bigger than just, you know, tomorrow. Uh, and the prophet is trying to get us there. So God's people in Joel's day were encouraged to be faithful to God, to obey his commands with the promise that one day their kingdom, yeah, would be restored. But that was only temporary and today the kingdom is incomplete. But one day, one day, the kingdom will not be incomplete. Because the Bible teaches us so clearly that God will gather all those that he loves and we will sit together with him and we will rejoice at his throne and we will sing the songs of Zion in praise to the God who made the heavens and the earth and everything in it and we will be with the Lord forever. Now that's the dimension that enables me to deal with the stuff that's happening in our world today. 
Because I need not fear. Because God has planned and purposed the whole of history. History is not circular, it's linear. It began with God speaking and creating. It will finish with God creating a new heavens and a new earth. And that's the place where we will dwell with him for eternity. And Joel's looking for that. Joel knows that. Joel looks for that day. And so should we. And we should live in the light of it. Perhaps the phrase to say to each other, he's coming back, you know. He's coming back. And that's not fear. That is tingling with excitement. The Lord will return. Maybe in my lifetime, maybe not. But when he does, he will gather his chosen people. That's what Joel's been teaching us. And all those that have come from the wayward paths back onto that path of obedience. Have you got that again, guys? Not that way, not that way, but that way. I'll see you there. Okay? Should we pray? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and forgive the, the way we've skipped through that. There's so much detail to unpack in that book. But I pray that each of us has got this wonderful message that the prophet in that complacent generation all those years ago needed to hear that they were not walking in God's way and God was displeased with that. And because he loved them so much, his passion, his desire was to bring them back to the ways of God. And I just pray for anyone who's here tonight who, who perhaps has wandered that way, who's decided they know best and tried to lose God on the way, that they will return repentant to a holy but a gracious God who will put his hand upon them and said, welcome home. And perhaps there's somebody here tonight who's never made that commitment that prayer of faith which says, Lord, I've tried to live life my way. I've got it wrong. I've blown it. And I was wrong. Please let me live according to your word and to your commands and be obedient to what you teach me that I may walk in your ways for the rest of my days. And when we see anybody respond to either of those prayers, we will remember to give God all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.